Welcome to the Her God Speaks podcast special Tuesday feature called Hermeneutics Tuesdays. Yes, that's Tuesdays with an H, where we are seeking to become better interpreters of the Bible one 10-minute episode at a time. I'm your host, April Spears. Let's learn stuff together. I have fond memories of going with my parents to the local parade of homes when I was a kid. We'd venture from one model home to another, basking in the glories of custom features, opulent upgrades, magazine-worthy interior design, and that new construction smell, which for me is right up there with new car smell. I don't think we ever went because we were in the market for a new house. We went for fun. It was entertaining to feast our eyes on over-the-top luxury, to dream about what it would be like to live in such perfection. Now, for a good portion of my life, I thought of the Bible like a model home. Neat, clean, everything in its place, an exhibition of order and harmony with giant windows flooding everything with light. Whatever the issue, there's a verse for that. No matter how bad things get, everything happens for a reason. There's simply no question a literal face value reading of the text cannot answer. What two decades of serious Bible study have taught me is that the Bible isn't like that at all. It's very lived in. Shockingly so. There's dirty laundry on the floor, dishes in the sink, dog hair on the couch, something sticky on the refrigerator shelf, beds left unmade, and a trash bin that should have been emptied last night because the skin mom trimmed off the salmon has started to stink up the place. The so-called heroes of scripture are seriously flawed intelligent evil with real agency shows up at the very beginning of the story with no explanation of its origin. The human project goes off the rails really fast. And God's solution, get this, is to set apart one family composed of people who were themselves part of the problem. What the actual heck is going on? When his book, Evil and the Justice of God, N.T. Wright makes this observation. Ever since the garden, ever since God's grief over Noah, ever since Babel and Abraham, the story has been about the messy way in which God has had to work to bring the world out of the mess. Somehow, in a way that we are inclined to find offensive, God has to get his boots muddy and, it seems, to get his hands bloody to put the world back to rights, end quote. And what amazes me is that the biblical authors don't seem the least bit concerned about this. There's no attempt to hide it or put a cute spin on it. They're like that friend who lets you into her house as is and doesn't spend the first 10 minutes explaining why it's a mess. She just assumes you know that people actually live there and that people are messy. The lived-in nature of the Bible is what makes hermeneutics so important. We crave clean answers, well-ordered categories, and tidy how-tos. Without a solid hermeneutical method, our default is always to force the Bible to pursue our agenda. Hermeneutics is the safeguard. It keeps us tracking with the Bible's agenda, dirty laundry and all. 
For those of you who might be jumping into the series for the first time, we're working through John Walton's new book, Wisdom for Faithful Reading, Principles and Practices for Old Testament Interpretation. Now, this is not a book club. I'm working off the assumption that I'm the only one reading the book. It's simply serving as a guide and a source of content for the next few months of these hermeneutic Hughes days. That said, let's spend a few minutes talking about Walton's four fundamental concepts for interpretation. These span pages 8 through 16. Now, one of these concepts is that interpretation matters, which is what I was trying to get at with my model home versus lived-in home illustration. The cost of misinterpreting the Bible is way too high, and our tendency to import our own preferences way too common for us to take hermeneutics lightly. Another fundamental concept is that context is everything. Now, if you're anything like me, you've been hearing about the importance of context since your elementary Sunday school days. One of my all-time favorite Sunday school teachers used to say, context is king, at least 10 times every lesson. And he was not wrong. Now, most of what Walton says about context here has already been covered in previous Hermeneutic Tuesday episodes. We've talked at length about linguistic, literary, and cultural context. But there's one facet of context he brings up that I haven't given much thought to, and that's theological context. Here's how Walton describes it. Theological context pertains not to the theology of the whole Bible or the theology of the interpreter, as important as they are. Neither does it refer to systematic theology, which is the collection of our modern theological assumptions. Rather, I am referring to the theological presuppositions in the mindset of the ancient human author that often needs to be distinguished from modern or New Testament theological ideas, end quote. Now, this made me think of our summer book club, where we learned about the supernatural worldview of the biblical authors and how they thought about little G gods and the unseen realm of spiritual beings. As it turns out, their view is very different from the view that I have held of those things, So if I import my personal theology of angels, demons, etc., as I read the Bible, rather than seeking to understand how they thought about those things, I'm headed straight toward a misinterpretation of the text. I'll end up hearing my own voice rather than the voice of the author. We all need to stay aware of the fact that our theological categories and assumptions are probably quite different than the theological categories and assumptions of an ancient Israelite. The third fundamental concept is mind the gaps. One of those gaps is the space between our culture and the culture of the Bible. I've said it a million times, I'll say it a million more. We can't help but read the Bible as post-enlightenment modern Americans. But if we will stay acutely aware of the differences between our culture and ancient Near Eastern culture and learn as much as we possibly can about ancient Near Eastern culture, we'll be in good shape to discern the meaning of a passage. I've referred to this in previous episodes as being a good tourist of the text. Another gap we need to be aware of has to do with the author's focus. Have you ever noticed... How many details the biblical authors leave out of their stories? It's 
kind of annoying, actually. They're highly selective in what they choose to include. Now, our curiosity about what the author has chosen to leave out can get us into trouble. If a detail is missing, we can be certain that it's missing on purpose. And we probably don't need to expend any energy filling in the blanks. Now, for me, fundamental concept number four resonates the most. It's complicated. Walton writes, interpretation of an ancient document written in another language and by those with a different culture is rarely straightforward, end quote. Now, this, of course, is why for every passage in the Bible, there are a whole bunch of opinions about what it means. I say it all the time. The Bible feels hard because it is hard. This idea that as long as you have the Holy Spirit, it should just all magically make sense is a complete myth. We're going to need some help because it really is complicated. Now, just as we're starting to get all depressed about the complexities of interpreting the Bible well, just as we're starting to feel overwhelmed and like we can never get it right, Walton closes the whole section with the reminder that the message of the Bible as a whole is crystal clear. Any reader at any level can grasp the essentials of who God is and be drawn to follow him, says Walton. As someone who easily gets lost in the weeds, so to speak, that's important to remember. And here's a little tip. If you ever start to get overwhelmed, pretend you're going to teach the passage to a group of first graders. Next week, we're going to unpack the principle that a text cannot mean what it never meant. This is such an important one, you guys. It has revolutionized the way I read so many things in the Bible, particularly the book of Revelation. So I'm really looking forward to hashing that out with you. If you ever want one of these episodes in print form, you can find the transcripts on my Substack. That's aprilsweers.substack.com. There is an E at the end of April. I share other stuff there as well. If you subscribe, all those goodies will be sent directly to your inbox. So you don't have to do any work at all to find them. If you upgrade to a $5 a month paid subscription, you'll get some fun bonus content and you'll help keep this thing going, which would be a huge blessing. I recently did a a whole four-part intro to hermeneutics crash course for my paid subscribers. So you could access that if you become one of them. Paid subscriptions can be canceled anytime. I'll put a link for that in the show notes. Well, thank you so much for listening. I'll see you right back here next week. Bye friends. Bye friends.